0: Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for listening on. You could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to spend just a few moments of your precious time and we greatly appreciate it. Here on the podcast, we talk about three things, living a plant-powered lifestyle, enhancing emotional resilience, and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview a range of passionate guests such as physicians, dietitians, coaches, entrepreneurs, and many more. And please join Join me as I deliver these engaging, informative, and high-valued conversations for you. And just remember, the first five seasons of the Thrive lights podcast can now be found in the new The Chef Doc app, available in your Apple Store and Google Play stores. So what are you waiting for? Come on inside. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and we have a wonderful episode. Our guest is J.R. Hatley. We're going to be talking all things mental health, but being as holistic and inclusive as possible. We span topics of the BIPAC community to why mental health is important. Why is it important to celebrate our diversity, increase our inclusion with all communities, and we're going to be looking at it from different lens and approaches. So you don't want to miss this. Okay guys, well welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites podcast. I'm your host Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you for so much for jumping on. You could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to spend your precious moments with us and we greatly appreciate it. So, for today I have a wonderful wonderful guest. I am so excited. I can't wait. And it's a very special topic that we're, you know, talking about. And you know, I'm going to introduce you to her. Um, her name is JR Hatley, and she is a exceptional, exceptional holistic and inclusive associate, marriage and far- family therapist. And she hails all the way from California. And her mission is very, very clear is to empower individuals and couples, guiding them through towards healthy, intimate relationships with themselves and with others. And she brings a whole host of different types of approaches, different levels and layers of expertise, including but not limited to trauma-informed practices, strength-based approaches to tailor very, very diverse needs, and also specializes in ketamine-assisted therapy. Okay. She is proudly... LGBTQIA plus and BDSM slash kink affirmative. She's a huge, fierce advocate for social justice within the BIPOC community. And she spans a whole range of clinical um, experiences. So I can't wait for you to be introduced. Please welcome Jair. Hey. (laughs)
1: So happy to be here. <laughs> Your introduction <laughs> made me excited. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're like, ooh, I, I need oh, you to be at, like my hype man to every like right. big stage, right?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I'll take it. I'll take it. So if you're offering, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Jared, thank you so, so much for coming on to the show. How are you today? Where are you calling from? And yeah, just please introduce yourself.
1: I am calling from my own, my home office in Los Angeles, California. It's in Westwood. I also have an office um, that I practice out in Beverly Hills. So not too far from down the road. Um, it's sunny out here. It feels good. So I have no complaints. And um, I'm always happy to see, see your face and that great smile um, <laughs> and to talk about what we do and what we're passionate about. So it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. a good space. It's,
0: I like it. I like it. I like it. So at the time of this recording, what's really cool is that we're not just talking about therapy and mental health, but not just too long ago, it was, I believe, Global or World Mental Health Day. Yeah. And uh, super, super important. And you know, I definitely want you to shed some insights on why that's important. But my first question to you is that, you know, we've had other types of Mental health slash emotional, emotional slash behavioral health specialist. Come on, right? Yeah. But before we get into your unique and holistic approach, can you tell with uh, tell us the you know the audience share with us the on some key moments that really set you on the path to this line of work?
1: Okay, so my path started long before. Got my master's in psychology. Long before that, it started and was uprooted in my and in, in my upbringing. Upbringing was deeply rooted in community-based transitional programs, re-entering society from from the prison system, shelters for abused women and children, working with senior living facilities, and this was my childhood. So my parents probably get the credit because they they helped to instill this sense of deep empathy within me and a strong desire to make a positive impact in the lives of those around me, right? Mm. The ones that I interact with on a daily basis.
0: How did they do that? You know, did they do that because they're just awesome people and wanted to like, you know, you know, give you a, Amazing, I guess childhood, you know, rearing, or like, what, what was it? You know, was it shown? Was it by action? How did I do that? It,
1: it was by action. So, what people might not know about me is uh, my parents were pastors. So, I have this strict kind of religious upbringing, and we'll like talk about how that. Shows up in my practice as well. <laughs> but from that standpoint, the good things that came from that is they were very community community oriented. Right. We since the time that I was eight years old until my late 20s, early 30s, my parents had a program where we um, distributed food and clothing every Thursday to those that to those who were in need. So I saw my mom get up morning after morning. And this was not like a huge organization or some mega church or something like that. She would literally get up every morning and go to, we partner with some of the grocery stores food that they would give, that they would throw away to be able to advocate for that food to go to people in need instead of just waste and disposal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said when, you especially when you have parents you know because not all of us have had parents yeah and not all of us have had parents that parent well you know mm-hmm. i'm a, a believer that you know everyone can everyone can produce and create and po- procreate children but mm-hmm. not everyone's necessarily meant to be a parent yeah. so and then have you know parents that we're self-aware enough and then be able to instill really amazing beliefs and values and practices and doing it by action. I think that's very, very powerful, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'm glad that you are able to see like communities thriving through actions and participating in the service of others. I think there's no, nothing higher than that. You know, by instead of just you know uh, service and others, and you know you saw that you know within yours. So the so they're pastors. So what are what are some other key moments that you're like okay, let me serve others through you know therapy. Was there something else before that, yeah. or was well, that so always was- been on the road?
1: That was the positive foundation, right? This foundation of love and what you're describing is my favorite thing to talk about is like a healthy attachment. And I was fortunate to have that with my parents, right? And when I talk about healthy attachments, I'm talking about the emotional bond between original caregiver and a child original ca- caregiver in many situations is typically the parent but not always right could be grandparents or if you're adopted could be your adopted parents or whoever that may be a significant person in, in your life right from from childhood and I was I was privileged enough to, to have that as a child and that's the same like the dynamic that works within a healthy therapeutic relationship is my clients are able to form a healthy attachment to me, right? Mm. There's a sense of security. They're allowed to just be and become right. Whatever their authenticity, authentic self looks like. Whoa. Struggling with that. Yeah. One. <laughs> <Whatever they're laughs> Let's doing. start with an alliteration <laughs> every morning. <laughs> looks like, right. They can be that as is. And as they are becoming, I am there with them on their journey. Right there's also a sense of security in the consistency of of how I show up as a human being, right in the room as a therapist. They know they can contact me, right? I don't. I'm not late for sessions. I'm there. That's this is where like therapeutic boundaries come into place, right? It, it feeds into that consistency that you need to feel safe and secure in the world, and it it all it all ties in. <laughs> Somehow, some way it all ties in, but that's that's my take on the therapeutic relationship as well. Yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. For me, I wish I, I just learned, like literally, not even a year ago, I just learned about attachment theory and attachment styles, mostly in re, re, in regards to dating and relationships, Ooh, right? Yeah. I was like, wow, I wish I knew this way beforehand, yes. right? Because we're all aware, most yeah. of us are aware of the five love languages. And I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, brilliant. But I think if we had that plus the attachment, you know, theory and, you know, to people's like con- yeah. front of consciousness and forefront, it would have probably saved a lot of time and heartache, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of that. And, and also not just in terms of dating relationship, but also in terms of relationships, Parentally, like like you said, in terms of because there's a lot of core things that you learn, you know, growing up. But also mm-hmm. in terms of your relationship and that two way street with your coworkers and your platonic relationships, and because to me, relationships can be formed with almost anything as long as there's a two way street. But it's understanding mm-hmm. that there's a two way street, and you know, how did you how do you show up? How does that other person you know yeah. show up, and that makes a big, big, big difference.
1: Yeah. You, you gain a deeper understanding of yourself, right? And once you have that deeper understanding, then you bring mindfulness and awareness and kind of let go of the things that don't serve you anymore. Maybe they were helpful for survival connection or sense of self in childhood, but you don't need those same things. And so you, you can change those dynamics when you're aware of them.
0: Yeah, And it's not yeah. just,
1: I've always been this way. I'm always like this. and You know, <laughs> you don't have to be. You don't yeah, have to be. Yeah. Your mama's mama's grandma or, you know, uncle. Like, it doesn't have to be.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm also a big proponent of <laughs> generational trauma. Yeah. And coming from the background that I come from and seeing how my parents came to be and seeing how their parents came to be. There are certain things that I know that I don't want to pass on to my latter generation. And so, you know, it's, it's something that's very important to me. So I think everything matters in terms of relationships, in my opinion, and the understanding and that notion to becoming more self-aware and then to practice and instill these practices, you know, because unless you're a hermit in the woods, you're going to interact with so many human beings, you know, on the planet and it's m- important to do it in a space where we are emotionally aware and intelligent enough and so we can thrive. Going back to, you know, World or Global Mental Health Day, just from your perspective, why does mental health in general matter? Right? Like why does it because it wasn't too long ago where we felt that, you know, it's not really something you talk about. Right. You know, people don't really, it's taboo, you know, to talk about it, but, you know, we don't, we didn't know that between the ages of 10 and 34, you know, suicide is like one of the top causes of death. Right. For that age bracket, for example. Right. So why does it matter? Right. From your perspective?
1: Well, First I have to say that I do take this holistic approach to mental health care. And when I'm talking about holistic health, it's a complete picture of an individual's well-being. So it addresses not only symptoms that you might see for some people, but you I dive deep into the connection between the brain, biological stuff, right, the body, the thoughts, the emotions, the of the mind, the environment, and I like to throw this piece in there of of your environment, right, which is both your current environment and your historical environment, which mm. goes into trauma and inter- intergenerational trauma, conflicts, right, unresolved conflicts and this approach encompasses your lifestyle choices, nutrition, spirituality, if that's a thing for you. I know I talked about spirituality, but that's not a thing for everyone <laughs> in, in, in the same religious sense. But even when we're talking about purpose, sense of purpose um, in life that I I count that as spiritual, right? That just mm-hmm. being the, the part that can't be explained. <laughs> right? And then mindfulness is important. So. Just, we are whole beings. Mm-hmm. And mental health is a big part of that, right? Like the brain is a big part of that. Our thoughts, what we tell ourselves daily is a big part of that. how that impacts our emotions and then that how those emotions impact our behaviors, right and our those behaviors are what people see in the world. That's how we interact with people within our individual environments. Yeah. So mental health is is the huge umbrella for me.
0: Yeah. And I love the fact that you're doing it holistically because, and and I don't know if it's because in general, there's been an increase in diversity or this, you know, especially for the BIPOC, you know, LGBTQ, you know, communities, either there's been an increase in diversity or there's always been this diversity. We just didn't, you know, are aware, you know, of these communities and now we had to develop develop tools and strategies and different kinds of approaches. So I really, I think that's awesome to be as inclusive as people because, you know, the reality is, is that we deal with a lot of marginalized communities and populations and mental health, in my opinion, should be a need to be, you know, a human right for everyone, you know, you know in, in addition to healthcare, which, you know, is a part of that as well. So can you enlighten the audience in terms of what are, you know, when we're referring to a BIPOC community, first of all, what is it? And then number two, what are the disparities, you know, that are within this community in regards to mental health?
1: So BIPOC, Black, Indigenous people of color, right? And I want to Respond to to what you said briefly about the, you, diversity has always existed. Diversity has not been celebrated. We've not always had language to talk about a certain diverse communities. And now you're right. We do have more language and tools to address diversity, but there's always, there has always been diversity and diversity historically being diverse has come with like oppression, right? Yeah. And that comes with its own set of things to, to address, right? But if we're talking about disparities in mental health outcomes within the BIPOC communities, it's a result of complex historical, systemic, and cultural factors, right? So ongoing structural racism and discrimination lead to reduced access in quality health care. Both in mental health and you know this <laughs> working, working in healthcare, right? But that contributes to these disparities. Also, cultural stigma and mistrust of the healthcare system can discourage individuals seeking help. And cultural insen- insensitivity in mental health in mental healthcare, right? Practitioners that are not culturally competent, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, it's not just enough to kind of acknowledge the disparities, but to kind of actively work towards dismantling them. And mm-hmm. so for me, that starts with my therapeutic environment where cultural sensitivity and understanding are paramount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: If I gave you a magic wand and and, and be like, Ooh. JR, I grant you like one wish, right? And you had a chance to, quote unquote, I don't want to say fix, but, you know, insert blank verb, right? If you had a okay. magic wand to do something in regards to what we just said, you know, what would it be? Would it be increasing you know, kind of like a standard of education, you know, for people in terms of health practitioners, health providers, mental health, you know, providers across the board? Is it increasing, you know, education and awareness? Is it breaking down these types of systems of oppression? Like what, what would it be, you know, to make your job easier? Would it put you out of the job?
1: (laughs) Okay. So this is going to be one long wish because it has to be all of that, Mm. right? So it has to be addressing structural racism and discrimination, right? And then that includes in areas of education, employment, housing, healthcare access, all of which impact your mental well (laughs) being. The limited access to quality healthcare, that matters. So addressing inadequate insurance coverage underfunded community health centers geographical barriers is also important and then cultural stigma and mistrust yes it's 2023 and therapy is trending and you know it's there's a good part to it and then there's a bad part of people right. self diagnosing <laughs> Uh, so you know, still trying to find the balance with social media, but it's a good thing because people are talking about about their mental health. But that being said, there is still a lot of stigma and mistrust within mm. you know, healthcare mm. and mental health care, and it can discourage BIPOC individuals from seeking help. right? Mm. And then there's the historical injustices and mistrust of the healthcare system that can lead to skepticism. Right about the effectiveness yeah. and fairness of mental health treatment that matters. The cultural insensitivity again, practitioners that are culturally competent. There there can be barriers in language and communication, which uh, make it challenging to for well, you know. Even I've had clients talk to me because representation does matter, right? And for. In, in therapy with a non-bipoc practitioner mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. they they it felt they felt that it was a bit more challenging to convey their thoughts and feelings accurately
0: yeah right and um, i can t- and i can tell you for sure you know and i would admit that you know i sought you know therapy for myself and it matters if someone across from you whether in person or across the screen looks like you right? Because there's these implicit, you know, negative biases that we all, you know, carry, you know, intentionally or unintentionally. And it makes a big difference for the therapeutic, you know, environment. So I definitely, you know, you know, echo what you say. Do you feel like COVID did us a favor in terms of, you know, because it's almost that scene, you know, mental health awareness, you know, shot up, right? Like, If you didn't think you had anxiety or depression, well, guess (laughs) what? You know, it just kind of rose out of the cement jungle like weeds, right? Do you think that COVID did us a favor just by being COVID in terms of mental health? And if so, you know, what are what are what more do we need to do that lays you know ahead of us?
1: COVID got everyone to slow down. Right. To pay attention to the things that are important to them. Whether that be their own health, right? Their time with family and connection with friends and self care. It really got us to slow down and look at the things in our world and life and how they impact us, right? So, you know, when you slow down, you're really able to bring awareness to things, to how you operate in this world, what you need for your sense of well being. Right. And in that sense, it did people, you know, anxiety, anxiety did shoot up. We didn't have any access to to any of our normal self-care things. If your thing is travel or going to dinner with a friend or going to go get a spa treatment or going to go read at Barnes and Noble's or going to your favorite coffee shop or
0: or whatever
1: running it is, or running. right? <laughs> Anything. <laughs>
0: We're laughing because you know, I made yes. Jair like run like blocks and blocks and blocks in the pandemic, and she hates me.
1: <laughs> no, you know, I found comfort in following your cats as long as you, as long as I can see your cats a few paces ahead of me, <laughs> I felt good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're not kidding, like, this literally happened, and we didn't have many options. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we met in our a CrossFit gym. That was our sense of community and our connection. And also, you know, that contributed to what contributes to my sense of well-being. I still work out actively, I still go to CrossFit. And we didn't have that. Every all the gyms, everything shut down, anything that had like the sense of community that shut down. And so COVID got to you got to see what what really plays an important role in my life. And so moving forward i think it's important for individuals not to just hop back in to yeah. cuz we're not completely out of out of it yet right yeah. numbers have <laughs> risen again but not to just jump back into the hustle and bustle of life and to really you know take into account everything you've learned about yourself During that time where you had to slow down. Yeah. Right. And how can you take those things and move forward in a way that you prolong the benefits moving
0: forward? There's a lot of power in pausing, reflecting, allowing Mm -hmm. space and time to process whether you were sequestered yourself or sequestered, you know, with a loved one or family, Mm -hmm. it taught you you know, probably a different meaning about relationships and, uh, and your own self relationships. So I think that was, you know, one of the very few benefits, you know, of COVID. So, and I definitely agree with you. Switching gears a little bit, you know, enlighten the audience. You know, this is also something that you, you know, specialize and focus as well. Hey guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zhu, aka The Chef Doc, and I just wanted to extend my gratitude and appreciation for you for listening to this episode. We are always looking ways to evolve and give back. And we also understand that a large part of our audiences are our fellow healthcare professionals. And so we've decided that we're going to create continuing medical education for our listeners. And it's not just for doctors. We've partnered with CME Phi to deliver continuing education for not just doctors, but also nurses, nurse practitioners, physicians, associates, pharmacists, dentists, dietitians, and dietetic technicians. This is just another way for you to be able to get continue education while listening to our great episodes. So how does it work? Basically how it works is there will be a hyperlink provided in the show notes and you click on that and you're given a couple of reflective questions. And once you're done with that, then you are awarded one CE credit per episode. And so basically have at it, have fun, and also gain education as well at a nominal cost. And so, thank you again for listening and following Thrive Bites podcast. And we greatly appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next one. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. And are inclusive. What is LGBTQIA and kink affirmative? therapy and what is your approach with that?
1: Okay I, now I have to kind of hop back to <laughs> to the beginning right because I talked about this like huge spiritual upbringing and religion being like really important in that and I talked about the positive side of that. but there's also in those environments, particularly re- religious settings, sexuality is a taboo topic. And I witnessed firsthand the struggles many people face when it comes to sexuality, sexual expression, relationships, body image, and the big P pleasure. Mm. (laughs) Um, And as well as the often hidden issues of trauma, sexual trauma, and addiction that sometimes lies beneath the surface. Uh, And it's those experiences that forge my commitment to healthy sexuality. Mm. I believe that everyone deserves a safe space to explore and understand their sexual identity and desires. It's about breaking down the barriers of shame and stigma that often surround these topics. So, LGBTQIA+. I know that is a lot of letters, right? And kink affirmative therapy is about creating safe and affirming spaces for individuals and couples in these communities. I call myself an advocate, but I am also a part of the community, And my goal is to empower individuals to embrace their identities without judgment and to enhance their mental well-being within the context of unique relationships. Right. So that starts with creating a safe space. My therapy room is a safe haven where LGBTQIA plus and kink individuals and couples can explore their identities and relationships. You're free to be yourself. And that freedom is what fosters The trust and honesty and growth and and affirmative therapy in general goes beyond tolerance. I think that's very important to point out. It's about genuine acceptance. It's a space where your unique journey is celebrated. We talked about diversity being celebrated and we work together to address the challenges, but also the joys of your experience.
0: Mm. For sure. For sure. And I think, you know, going back to what you're saying about the big P, you know, about pleasure, Mm -hmm. culturally speaking, you know, us Asians, like we don't really talk about that joy, contentment, happiness. What is that? Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, growing up, you know, I didn't get any type of, you know, sex forward, you know, type of talk or anything like that. It's it, it It's always with these negative connotations and taboo, you know, um kind of like connotations with all that. And it's just felt very uncomfortable, even if there was like a story outside that needs to be talked about. and I think that's huge. I think that's huge that you're an advocate, you're part of a community. you advocate for these types of yeah. not just a therapy, but just also sounds like celebrating you know, to actually enjoy these experiences. And like you said, creating a trusting, safe, secure environment for others to talk about. Because if there isn't that, there isn't that trust and safety, then it's almost like reinforcing negatively reinforcing that, you know, we need to hide, we need to continue that perpetual taboo type of talk or lack of talk in this case, and just feel bad about it to feel bad about, you know, you know, pleasure and joy when, you know, in all actuality, you know, we're humans as part of the human experience. So it's very interesting. I I mean, I'm glad.
1: Grew up with this love hate relationship with my sexuality, right? Like thinking I might go to hell, or I was going against God for being a sexual person. Like there's 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 so much I could tell you from my own personal history of, and especially in those religious settings, like sex is sort of talked about, maybe depending on who you're around. But it's when in the context of a heterosexual marriage, but even within those dynamics, like apparently, you you know, you never talk about sex and then you're in that, that marriage. And how do you learn to talk about sex? If you never talked about sex and pleasure and sexuality and sexual expression before that, then people are, are not operating from what they know of themselves and of that person, but of assumptions, right. And what they hearsay, right. And what they may have seen in a, in a video you're not supposed to watch.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think in my opinion, I think sexual education needs to be beefed up. I think, you know, in terms of parentally uh, I wish more, especially people of color to, you know, engage in it more. And there are, we can create healthy environments to talk about it because, you know, guess what? You know, according to the United Nations, we're approaching 10 billion people on planet mm-hmm. earth. So we're having sex one way or another. <laughs> right. And so you might as well like talk about it in a healthy, you know, environment. And in my opinion, if, you know, we had healthier sex and healthier talk about it, and had healthier expressions about it. I kind of feel we would have less, you know, battles and wars Mm -hmm. and you know negativity in the world you know because it's just different expressions to me of anxiety of angst of anger of hatred resentment these are just you know different ways of expressing ourselves when it could have been dealt with in a healthier you know fashion
1: yeah it's it's important to to talk about things obviously i've been taught therapy It's important to bring the thing bring things to light, right? People, especially when we're talking about sexuality, we are sexual beings. There's there's no way around that. We express it differently than you know, the I express it differently than you and you from the person next to you. Right? <laughs> if there's someone next to you, no. <laughs> but no, just um, like but we're 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 all sexual beings. Right. So to pretend that it doesn't exist or not to be able to talk about it, you don't get more understanding. It also like when you don't talk about these things, it opens up the door for things like rape culture. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you have to make space to talk about healthy sexuality and learn what healthy sexuality is as a whole, but also to you as an individual.
0: For sure. For sure. And that could be a whole nother episode, you know, rape culture that leads into our modern day form of slavery, which is human mm-hmm. trafficking and child trafficking. Yeah. It's, it's, we could approach things in a healthier, uh, but it does take all of us, you know, working yeah. together. Okay. So I'm looking at time and okay. I definitely want to, you know, you know, uh, we could talk forever. Huh? Yeah, we could talk forever. <laughs> Tell us um, a couple of things, tell us a couple of, you know, success stories, you know, from, you know, your client's experience thus far. And, you know, what have you noticed in them that has shifted, you know, for them, you know, for them to continuously see you? Can you share a couple of success stories?
1: Let me see what I can say. What, what I can say is like my patient interactions inspire me daily. Right. It's Mm. nothing better to hear from clients in their own words, to have them reflect on their own sense of growth, right, and significant improvements in their overall well being, both individually and within their relationships. I give people permission to ask questions, to be curious about themselves and the world around them, and to challenge old notions and ways of thinking and being that no longer serve them. So to see anyone say, huh, I I don't, I don't have to think that way. Or why was I thinking that way? Or where did that come from? I don't have to be this way. I can choose something different, right? There's something better that works for me. Yeah. And A lot of times, like I said, I deal with attachment. So we dive deeper as into like, why, why you think the way you do, where do your thoughts come from and to see people really grow their own sense of autonomy. Right. Mm -hmm. And for instance, like in a parent parental relationship, realizing that that you can set boundaries but you can still be kind and 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 loving and still be in relationship with someone and the way that you actually really do that in a healthy way is by having healthy boundaries and that's one of my favorite things to teach <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it, it helps kind of strengthen the foundation of who you are as an indi- or as an individual right and When you can have healthy boundaries and you keep people in your life who respect your boundaries, Mm -hmm. then then you feel safe. You feel there's a sense of confidence, self-confidence and self-worth when you feel like I am valued, I am seen, I am understood by myself and by the people in in the circles around me.
0: What do you think first came first? You know, kind of like a chicken and egg, you know, type of a scenario, you know, is it boundaries that need to come first and then the respect, or is it the respect that needs to come first and boundaries? You know what I'm saying? Because I find it, you know, older generations, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, we're used to respecting them simply because they're older, right? But that's under the assumption that there's a certain amount of, knowledge and wisdom, you know, that is gained when, as you grow older. Right. But I can't say that for every, you know, elderly person. Right. So I also advocate, you know, in terms of earning respect. Right. And you had mentioned respect and boundaries. So what is your thoughts on that?
1: I don't think I've had that question phrased that way, but thinking about it now, I would say it has to come It comes at the same time. Right. I have my boundaries (laughs) and you're I will voice my boundaries if you're not aware. Right. Or if you're getting close to the boundaries are are for you. Mm -hmm. They're not for, for they're not for someone else. They're for you. What are my boundaries for myself? What makes me feel safe and protected and and allows me to be an individual in this world? Right. And and function mm-hmm. from a healthy space. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I need? So knowing my needs, my wants, my desires and the, the person, for instance, if I'm in a relationship, I have to communicate those boundaries. Right. And they should respect them in a healthy relationship. Your boundaries are respected and it goes both ways. But in the in the example that you gave of the of the elderly person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> There's a, gen- uh, a like we have plenty gen- in our lives,
0: right, and in our social circles and families, right.
1: A, a general respect for for my elders, I do, right. But if if an elder did something inappropriate, then <laughs> I can let that elder know, hey, it's crossing a line. This is inappropriate, and here's why. Please don't do that again. Yeah. So it it, it kind of has. You have your boundaries. You hold your boundaries. You you are responsible for communicate your boundaries. You can't just expect people to know, right? Mm-hmm. There are some people that just are kind of natural boundary crossers, right? <laughs> and within the black community, especially, there used to be a, a boundary around hair, right? Mm-hmm. People seeing curly hair or or afros, and you know, just touching our hair that's invading physical boundary, right? There's different kinds of boundaries that's invading invading a, a physical boundary. And now I'm pretty sure the world knows that it's not okay to just touch someone <laughs> without their permission. Right. So the boundaries there, it's always been there, but it has to be respected as well. Does that make sense?
0: <laughs> oh, it totally does okay. for me. Totally does for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would hope that everyone knows, but, you know, I don't want to go as far as that kind of assumption. So it's still, you know, I think boundaries are awesome, especially coming from my culture. There's no such thing as that. I don't even think we have a word for it because it just doesn't exist. So I think it's very important to emphasize, learn about it, bring it into awareness. And, you know, that's how you have that continued respect. Really quickly, as we close out, what are some top like two or three actionable tips you would give to someone that's not in the mental health slash behavioral health space for them to act upon for them to, I guess, increase, like, what would you want them to know at the end of the day? Like, what are some key things about mental health? What are the takeaways you would want that said person who's not familiar, you know, with any of this to know?
1: I suppose it would be holistic well-being. Mental health isn't isolated from the rest of our lives. It is intertwined with our physical health, our cultural identity, and our daily experiences. So it's, it's not this thing on the outside. It's a part of us always and forever. <laughs> if you need support or resources then i want people to feel empowered to to reach out right mental health is is you can have to consider your lifestyle nutrition mindfulness it's about a journey towards balance
0: mm-hmm.
1: right and that's in in various aspects of our lives in mental mm-hmm. health it's about achieving healing and balance the other thing is cultural sensitivity and inclusivity, right? Inclusivity is at the, the heart of my practice. And it's not just, again, about being tolerant. It's about celebrating the diversity of human experiences, right? I don't want to be colorblind. <laughs> that That's not a thing. I want to be able to see and celebrate diversity. And then the last part is just empowering through empowerment through understanding. We talked a lot about therapeutic process and it's about understanding your unique journeys, your, your historical environments, your experiences. And it's, it's that understanding that empowers you to overcome challenges, foster healthier relationships and achieve your goals ultimately.
0: I love it. I love it. I love the part where you say celebrating the diversity of the human experiencing uh, experience and inc- including being inclusive of all that. Yeah. JR, thank you so much for, you know, being here with us. I think the conversation was super comprehensive and I think, you know, you know, there's just so much we can't. Fit I, I feel it. like it's we were much. all over the place. <laughs> we can't fit in here. It's too much. But you did a br- beautiful, you know, brush stroke through it all. And for those that want to know more, I want to reach out to you, where were you sen- Like, where would you send them?
1: So, full name is JR Hatley. You can find me online, jrhatleywellness.com. There is social media. Instagram is the only thing I'm really active on. And again, it's at JR Hatley Wellness. Colin, we didn't talk about this, but I also do ketamine-assisted therapy as well. And so you can also find me through psychedelicacollective.com, psychedelicacollective.com. But JR Hatley Wellness is the way to reach me. You'll find everything about me, how to contact me through there. Reach out. I want to hear from you. Let's talk. Let's connect. <laughs> awesome. And we'll
0: put you know more of your show notes, more of your contacts in the show notes once this yeah. air. So JR, thank you so, so much. Thank you. Appreciate everything that you do. Keep up the good work. And I hope that you, you know, empower and inspire so many people, you know, in, you know, for the coming future. So thank you so, so much. Thank you so doing.
1: much. I appreciate you. Have a wonderful day.
0: Have guys. Yeah, guys. Uh, this has been another episode. If you enjoyed this, please like, comment and subscribe. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And until then, please say goodbye to <laughs> there Bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoy that episode. If you like that, please like, comment, and subscribe, and uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. And if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And also remember that the first five seasons, 150 episodes now can be seen and heard on our new the chef doc app and don't forget to give us a five-star rating and we greatly appreciate it so and we'll see you on the next one